now coming to church and getting um, and, and so if you're not the target audience, some of the things I say may not be how you want to hear it said. Or you may hear it and you be like, oh, that sounds like a like a weak gospel, or that's right, but there's more to it than that. And you're right, there is more to it than that. Um, but there's a difference between if I, I believe if you're speaking to someone and talking about the Christian message, the simplicity of the gospel, what it takes to be saved, versus the actual Christian lifestyle and, and what would be kind of required of you afterwards. So early on, there's going to be like a focus on the Christian message. And that may really bother you because like, but I want you to say this, 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 this. And I just, it just may not get to that point. Um, so the second assumption is that we come to church for the wrong reasons sometimes. This would probably be the easiest of the three assumptions to grasp too. I know for me, I grew up Kojic and in Church of God in Christ. Uh, there, I was entertained a lot in church growing up. Um, often, you know, the what they called the, the shout music, the praising music, the organ, the drums would get going, and then people would just start popping off with different things. There's setting Olympic records running around the pews, and hats and wigs are flying off and different things. And I'm not saying anyone was faking. I'm just saying 12-year-old Cletus was very entertained by it, even though... I didn't like coming to church. This was something I could look forward to if I knew I went to certain churches. Um, and we've all got those things, whether it's sometimes we come to church, it's just, it's just an exchange, right? I want to drop off the kids or give you a package. We're going to hang out afterwards. And the easiest thing to do is just say, hey, I'll meet you at church. And afterwards, you know, we'll do that. Or you feel guilt trip. Somebody invited you like, dang, I got to go. Uh, or you got church crushes, right? And you you get dressed in the morning. You, that's your motivation, just to put on a, a just button up just a little more. Whether you actually act on it or not, whether you're married, the other person's married. Sometimes we got that church crush, and we know this is the only time to see them. And so this is when I'm going to come. And I may even get to church a little bit early because this is the only time I can really see this person. This is my optimal window to see my church crush. Am I cutting in? Am I good? Turn it a little that way. Is that better? We doing good? Okay. Um, so, and third assumption would be, let me actually set my timer here so I'm not up here for an hour. Um, third assumption is that when we come to church for not the best reasons, that, that's not to say that um, you're not really Christian if you come to church for the wrong reasons. It's not to say you need to leave and wait till you got the right reason to come back because all the time God is using our poor motives for something good. Um, but it is to say, just know that that's, that's not like, that's not brownie points for you. We sometimes have this theology that like, God's happy with me since I still came to church. It's like, but at least I still came. So I just want to push that for a second, that third assumption that this isn't, you know, there's no brownie point theology. So I just want to use two, two quick examples to back up that third assumption. One would be, there's a story in the book of Acts where this husband and wife, they sell their land and bring the money to the church. Now, think about that. They sold their land. We're talking thousands of dollars to, to donate it to the church. I don't even know where, where they plan to, to live afterwards. It, if you know the story, it didn't matter. But <laughs> they, bring, they bring the money to Peter. And what ends up happening is they actually lie about the amount. And Peter doesn't say to them, well, hey, this was great that you did this. No one else did anything like this. 
He doesn't say, well, you shouldn't have done this, but at least you gave the offering. We're just so glad you're setting this example for everyone else. What happens is he tells them, you didn't just lie to me, you lied to God, and they drop dead. Um, which I don't think that should be like what we should expect to happen to us if we like lie about something we put in offering. But I can remember back in those Kojic days, there were plenty of times where you know we, we would have to stand up and walk around to the front and put the money in the basket. And there'd be someone holding the baskets with the money. And there were plenty of times where I'm assessing the situation and I'm like, I don't want to walk around without any money in my hand. I don't want to look crazy. Or depending on where I was in the row, I don't want to have people have to like walk over me and, and do all this. So like, let me find someone. Hey, do you have an extra dollar? This, this, this. Or maybe I had a dollar and I, you know, you fold it a certain way so it looks like more than it is. Turn 10 into 20 real quick. <laughs> Hustler's anthem. And because I just like, you want it to be seen a particular way, right? And I would think the Bible is pushing it just like, hey, like, even though, like, part of the Christian lifestyle is that you do uh, give money to the church, I think between you and God relationally, you didn't do yourself any good if your heart had selfish motives. I think God is incredibly concerned with the why. Second example, we hear this before communion every week where First uh, Corinthians, oh, 15, 11, 15? 11, okay, um, where you have this, this scene in communion and, and Paul's upset with the church. And what's happening is they're turning communion into a full-on meal and they're getting drunk and even taking, taking what could be for the poor for different things. And Paul doesn't tell them, well, at least you came to church. It's better you're here than anywhere else. You know, what we kind of say to our kids is different things. He actually tells them, hey, if you keep on doing this when you're taking communion, you are actually eating and drinking judgment to yourself. So those are the three assumptions. So we can hop into this, right? What is church? I want us to start at Matthew 23, if you want to turn there. And I say start because it wouldn't be right to say I'm going to preach from there. It's going to be more of a guide because our audiences are different, right? Again, I want to talk to young believers or older believers who are questioning or there's a genuine interest in, in what is this thing of faith and church as opposed to Jesus. He's, he's got a much more negative tone. He's talking to known hypocrites and, and, and in a very uh, negative way. In fact, depending on what you believe about hell or end times or any of those things, a lot of where that comes from is here in Matthew 23, 24, and 25 as he begins this uh, speech that covers a couple chapters. So this, for him, this was a very negative tone. Right. So I, I want to look at more what is what can we take from Jesus saying to hypocrites and use as a warning to believers or those with genuine um, interests. So we're first looking at this verse one. It says, can get that there? Yeah. Then Jesus said to the, the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do for they preach, but do not practice, right? So he's telling them, hey, these, these are the preachers. These are your pastors. These are your religious leaders. They are like the people in Moses' seat, but they're trash, right? So don't, you need to listen to them because they are telling you the right words, but then they're not living them. So don't live the way they do. He's not impressed with them. There's no brownie points. He's not satisfied just because 
they are the pastors and preachers. And, and this isn't like what sometimes we may talk about someone, you know, playing church where they're on Sunday, they live one way, and then Monday through Saturday, they live another way. They, these guys, they were in church all day. This was their job. They knew the scriptures. They weren't like playing church in the sense their motives and their why was just bad. And so he, he keeps on with that in verse 4. It says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they willing are, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called a rabbi by others. So we say, hey, you're like, yes, you're in church, but you just want to be seen by people. Sure, you prayed. Sure, you answered that question in Bible class, but you just want to be seen and known for this thing and have this reputation amongst the people. He says, I'm not impressed with that. In fact, I'm actually angry with that, very much so. We skip down to verse 13, where he begins these seven woes. We're only going to look at two of them, but kind of these judgments on the Pharisees. The first says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For neither you, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Mm-mm. Right? So how can we do this? What's the warning that we can see from the hypocrites to the actual believing, genuine interest crowd? And the warning here is don't shut people out. How can we do that? Well, one thing that starts happening, we take the Christian message and we take the Christian lifestyle and we make them where they have to be perfectly one and the same. And I've, I've been in some leadership role at three churches now with, uh, over the youth program. And I've seen over and over again where students, they feel this pressure where they're like, to be Christian, based on what my parents told me, I have to go to church every Sunday, and I have to sing in the choir, and I have to dress a certain way, and I have to get baptized, and I have to be against abortion, and all these things where it's Jesus plus, 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 plus. I, I can't have sex before marriage. I can't have tattoos. And, and when one of these things actually happen, they come to me or their friend did, and they say, it's clear, am I still going to heaven? Where it's no longer about here's Here's an expectation of the Christian lifestyle. It's you have to do this perfectly or you're not even saved anymore. It's not just going to church. You got to go to church with me and sit here. <laughs> uh, or you're not really a Christian anymore. I'm questioning your faith. Um, and I think this poses a problem to our youth, especially when we get into this mindset where there's like one strike. You get one strike. And if it's bad enough, this is proof you weren't Christian. Right? And again, this may be hard if you're not the target audience, but we get to this point where we may say, uh, well, I don't really believe in one strike, but I've noticed almost everyone does. You just have a different line than other people. Well, we'll, we'll say, I mean, you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian, to be in the church. You just can't be gay. And we draw that line. Or we say, oh, you don't, you don't have to be perfect, but I just don't see how any man of God could ever put his hands on a woman. And not that that's right, but... You may not see how a man of God can put his hand on a woman, but God does. And thankfully, he's not going to ask you for your opinion when deciding who gets in and out of heaven. But just because you don't see how a, a real Christian could do this thing doesn't mean that they aren't a real Christian when they do it. Um, especially if we're talking about this one-strike rule, 
Got an example, of course, a go-to for me. I could use it almost every sermon. King David, man of God, man of God after God's own heart. But what did he do? He's, he's creeper style. He's watching this lady take a bath. Has his boys go get her. He knows she's married. He knows her husband. Has her brought to the room, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up, make it look like her husband's the real big daddy, and then that didn't work. So he has the guys shift off to war to get killed. Right? And this is this is David. This is great King David. This is the guy who wrote half the Psalms. And yet he did this. He was very, very capable of doing this. And how would we treat someone if they did even one of these things? This is how bad the one-strike rule is. Now, just imagine modern-day political leader if Biden or Trump got caught saying they were on webcams watching a lady take a bath, and then they had the CIA go pick her up, brought to the White House, and they got her pregnant. And then to cover it up, they shipped their husband off to Afghanistan to get killed. We would have a field day ripping this person apart. But when you're looking at the one-strike rule, look how wrong we could be. This, this is something that we were talking about, David. Even, even one of Jesus' titles is Son of David. And yet, look what David did. Next woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte convert, essentially. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's rough. And, right, and this should be a good thing. We're talking about this is the Great Commission. Pastors, preachers, go travel, make converts. And he says, I got a problem with it because your why is wrong and how you want to treat people is wrong. And therefore, I have an issue with it, regardless of how Christian it may seem on the outside. He said, if you're just doing this just to build up your own little posse and raise them off so they'll be hypocrites and follow your own way, and they've got to do things your way, they've got to follow your Southern Baptist doctrine, or you're going to shut them out. He's like, you're just making other little Pharisees. And we do this with our youth plenty of times. They've got to interpret the way we do. They've got to live the way we do. Or we put this pressure on them. Right. And, and, and if you look at the other woes, he says, the danger you have is where you make them into whitewashed tombs. Looks great on the outside, but dead on the inside. They know the law. They know all this Christian doctrine. They're the, they're the most prized person in the church. But yet they neglect these weightier matters of the law. In our culture, we kind of have this image of, uh, you know, getting to heaven at the, at the gates of the judgment seat and you being kind of questioned why you should be let in. So just to play off that, I'd like to say, and again, this, this might hurt some ears. No one is going to get stopped at the gate and be told, I'm sorry, you can't come in because you were Catholic. This is proof you didn't love Jesus. No one's going to get stopped at the gate and say, I'm, I'm sorry, you didn't believe in predestination. This is proof you didn't love Jesus. I can't let you in. No one's going to get stopped at the gate and say, sorry, for between 2009 and 2012, you went to a church with a woman pastor. This is proof you didn't love Jesus. I'm not letting you in. No one's going to get stopped at the gate and say, I'm sorry, you didn't believe Genesis 1 and the story of Jonah were real little stories. This is proof 
you didn't love Jesus, can't let you in. I can't say 100% because I'm not going to be there, but I have a really, really good feeling that if you were to actually be questioned, if you were even allowed to speak, (laughs) you're going to be asked about one belief and one belief only. Did you love the Lord? And that will be the single only determining factor whether you get in or out. Did you love the Lord? If you're spoken to and questioned, that's going to be the one belief you'll be tested on. Not to say that those others aren't important or the reason why you may have those other beliefs may, you know, be, you know, you need to talk about with someone. But the life, the Christian lifestyle and the Christian message are different at a point. We say, well, what about train up a child in the way they should go? Proverbs 22, 6. You're right. We should do that. But the way is not bring them to church just for the sake of bringing them. And when we do that, we see it actually doesn't work. They do get old and depart from it. There was this big study done where they they reached out to all these young adults who had gone to church um, all their childhood. And they sent them surveys. Are you still in church? You still, right? 30% of them were still in church. Only 30%. And only 11% had actually left the faith. The other 59% didn't go to church but still couldn't be Christian. They followed up with them. Hey, well, why don't you come anymore? Overwhelmingly, what all that 59% said, said, it's the hypocrisy in the church, the toxic culture in the church. Because ultimately, church is a community. It's a group of people. And no one wants to be part of a community where You're telling someone, I've had an abortion, I'm considering it. And then the first thing they want to tell you is that you're a murderer. Who would want to be part of that community? Or if you're telling them, hey, I've done this sexually, I've considered this sexually. And then the first thing you want to do, they're already maybe depressed or going through anxiety or question themselves. The first and only thing you want to do is reach for a Bible and tell them why they're going to hell. Who would actually want to be part of that community? If your child tells you something or they're considering something, the decision they've done or whatever, and then you, your first response is, well, no son of mine, and I didn't raise a daughter that would, who would want to be part of that community? Because ultimately, we all see community, right? Whether it's, you know, your, the sports in school, uh, the people you play video games online with, or if you're actually a street gang or your Saturday brunch group or you're in recovery or your, your work friends or just that close family you have, we all seek and desire community. We're made for it. But we've turned the church into a community no one wants to be a part of. Unless you stick to these strict guidelines. So what did the community look like in Jesus' day? We have Acts. Chapter 2, let me try to get there real quick. Verses 42 through 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayer, a sense of awe came over, whoop, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And what? 
I'm just going to read from there because I don't know what they got here. With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts and to break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And what you see when you look at this, you're like, they, they were having real community. They were, they were eating with each other. They were praying with each other. They were taking care of each other. This is what the church was supposed to be. And I can say even the, I don't know, three, four years I've been here, as I've gotten to know people, none of it really happened Sunday morning service. It didn't happen in the meet and greet. When I got to know people better, it was because I went over their house and ate. It was because they came over our house and ate because we had the church picnic in the parking lot, and we sat in lawn chairs, and we talked and ate. Because we went bowling, went to the movies, and we talked and ate. We came to see an illusion show. Don't know how we did that. We ate out ice cream afterwards, talked and ate. Got on Zoom during the pandemic, talked just about normal things. We built community. You say, well, what about forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? got to do that. And you're right. But when you look at that, the writer has, he's, he's, he's in a flow of thought. He's saying, look, here's how we can work towards loving, toward loving each other more. It says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I notice he doesn't say, don't not neglect meet each other, but instead meet more and more and more and more. Right? What does it say there? It says, don't neglect meeting but encourage one another. Almost as if that should be a priority when you meet. Your why, how you treat people when you meet. It's not about sitting in the chair. Why were you there in the chair? John 13, by this, people will know you're my disciples. Not if you go to church, not if you tithe, not if you have Lutheran doctrine, but if you have love for one another, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. And this means we have to abandon a self-centered Christianity that says, oh, I'm, I'm just a regular member. I just, I, I show up, I go home. I'll clap, I'll say hi to you if you say hi to me. I'm going to enjoy the sermon. I'm Christian, don't worry about that. But my priority is I'm just going to be saved. I'm going to live a good life. And the truth is, the Bible is telling us this just isn't the design. The regular Christian. Now, it's not to say that you, you have to be part of some formal ministry all the time. But like Pastor says, like, who are you thinking about? Who are you praying about? Even if you're not here right now, you're not comfortable being here because of the pandemic, that's okay. Sometimes we can feel that guilt because you've been told, I got to be in church to be saved, and they're coming back, so what do I do? If you're not going to be here, that's fine. Text somebody still. Still be in community, right? And Jesus says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. What you did, not what you were willing to do if someone asked, what you actually reached out and did. It's not a self-centered Christianity that says, my priority is just me being saved and making sure I live a good life. So, church is a group of people. It's going to make sense. It's going to make sense. <laughs> church is a group of people. So we say, I love my church. Oftentimes when we talk about the church in our English language, right, it's just the building is the church, right? The service is church. But also the people 
our church. And I would argue that is the real church, the people. So when we say, I love my church, we should really be talking about the people and the community. So what does love mean? So I've got three things I love up here. Not in order. This is my top three. <laughs> but ice cream, the Steelers, and my spouse. I didn't want to put a picture of us up there, so you get the birds. Take it or leave it. So with ice cream, I love ice cream. What does that mean? It means I can eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a snowstorm. It doesn't matter. I can eat a half gallon in one sitting, all different flavors, brands. Um, but in particular, what I want to point out is that what it means is that I don't mind not getting the best value for the ice cream I buy. Even though I know I can go to the grocery store and spend $5 and get a gallon, I also don't mind going to the ice cream shop or the Froyo place and spending $6 and only getting two scoops. Now, if I feel like they're cheaping me on the scoops, I'm like, hey, bro, $6. (laughs) For the Steelers, if you don't know, they're a professional football team. For those taking notes, six Super Bowls, highest win percentage in NFL history, if you're taking notes. But what it means is that just like any sports crowd, you don't like bandwagon fans, right? You don't like people who jump on board just because they're doing good or something like that. You don't like people who are just wishy-washy with their team. So me loving the Steelers means that I'm going to be with them, cheer for them, even when they're not doing good, even when they're having a bad season, even when they're not even worth talking about. If you're a Colts fan, you know exactly what I mean by this. It means that if I'm watching a playoff game and the Steelers are playing the Cleveland Browns and they're down 30 to nothing in the first quarter and, any, and everything that could be going wrong is going wrong, that I'm still going to cheer for them like I know they're going to come back and win this game. <laughs> for my spouse... Right, I'm just going to use a simple one here because there's a ton of stuff you could use for that. So just one in particular, it means you care about them. You want to get to know them better. You go on dates. You want to know their likes, their dislikes, and try, and try to cater to that thing. So let's put it together. If I say I love my church, that means how can these things apply to the, the group of people? Just like that ice cream, it means I am willing to give you more money, more time, more physical labor, more emotional support than you might actually be able to give back to me. And I'm okay with that because I actually love you. And the flip side of that, it means I'm not going to be so prideful that in my time of need, I won't be willing to receive more money, more physical labor, more emotional support than I can actually give back to you. Like the sports team, it means when that, when that member is, yes, truly messing up and not doing so good or out of pocket where you're not going to just dump them and kick them out the church or anything like that. So, hey, I'm going to be with you, right? I'm actually going to acknowledge that, hey, I actually did the same thing back when I was your age or in this situation, and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to encourage you as if I know when this thing is all said and done, we're going to win this fight against sin. Just like your spouse, take interest in the other members. Get to know them. Find out their likes, their dislikes. Abandon that self-centered Christianity that says, I'm just going to be the service and head out as soon as possible, not look anybody in the eye. Take interest 
and the other members. Because that's what should be happening. A lot of times, you know, we, we're, we come to church and we're like, man, church was good today. And we're, we're really just saying, the choir sang two of my favorite songs. We're not saying, I enjoyed the community. I enjoyed the conversation I had with this person, that person. It, it, it warmed my heart to see brother so-and-so after so long. And this is what it should be. When we say, I want to join a church, it shouldn't be because I don't want to go to hell, so I need to be a member somewhere. And if I need a funeral or a wedding, I need a place to do it at. Like, it's, it's just specialty insurance. Let me cover my bases. I need to join a church. It should be because we're saying, I'm going to commit to loving in all these different ways the people in this room. I want to join a church. And when we do that, things just become so much more natural, even when you're talking about inviting someone. Sometimes you hear someone talk, and you and you be like, basically like, oh, you know, well, we're a mostly black church. We're out by one. You should join my church. And that's just kind of where it goes. But when you're really in community, what's going to happen is when someone talks about something to struggle with, you're going to think about the community you had. You're going to say, man, when I was struggling with that same thing, Rodney took me out for pizza. When I was struggling with that same thing, you know, I sat down with KB and Mike and talked about this. You should join my church because I want that same community for you. I mean, when someone's saying, man, my family's really going through, we're having a tough time with this, I don't know what to do, we're in counseling, there, all these other things, you're going to think to yourself, man, when my family's going through that same thing, Merv came to me, and Grady's came to me, Sharita and Rick Rowley, and they came to me, and they helped my family when we were going through the same thing. You should come to my church. It'll be natural, because you'll be talking about community. So. Wrapping this up, what is a community? Understand church, what is a church? Church is a community. Imperfect group of people striving, walking together, trying to live this Christian lifestyle best we can, taking care of each other, devoted to the word, addressing each other's needs, breaking bread, prayer in each other's homes. You'll have an issue if you look at your week and and catalog where your Christian time is mostly spent. If most of it is in this room, this is like the bulk of your Christian time for the week. It's not community. Understand your religion will not save you. Um, it won't. I guess I don't know how to follow up on that. But again, if you're sometimes we can be feeling like, oh man, I'm. I may have this extreme back pain or I may have this debilitating anxiety that keeps me in the bed. And sometimes we some have these unhealthy decisions of trying to get ourselves to the church because we've been raised. That's like where the salvation is when I think really God would be more upset that we're not coming to you. And having that ministry of visitation, right, being in this room does not save you. But sometimes as parents, as youth directors, that's, that, that's what we want. And we even do things that don't really follow even up on that. We're like, we're praying to God, I want you to save them, save my son, save my son. But then we act like if they're not in this seat and they're not sagging, it won't actually happen. Last one, do not try to become an overnight deacon. 
I know I'm talking a lot about community, what you need to go out and do and build relationships with this person. But, you know, some of you got the personality where you realize, oh, I may need to improve something. And you just like go off the deep end and you're trying to like talk to everyone and get involved in everyone's business and fix everyone's problems. And you don't need to do that. And hopefully it doesn't seem like I'm like reversing my whole sermon, <laughs> but we've, we've got people in the church who are gifted, high capacity individuals who are going to look after the church's needs. And where Haskins may be able to handle 30 people, you may be only be really think about three. And that's okay. The point is, be in community with those three. Right? And, and everything else will flow from that. You not need to try to become a deacon overnight, fixing the problems of the world and trying to hop in everything at the church. So, I'm going to be practical. I think it would be crazy of me to to tell you you need to be in community and then not give you some opportunities for community, right? And don't think, oh, if I don't come to these things, then I'm not Christian or anything like that. Like, I'm just trying to give you an option. If I'm going to propose a problem, I'm going to propose a solution. So some things coming up, September 11th is a ladies' game night. You can talk to the Bustles if you want to know more about that. I think one to three, is that what you said? One to three, um, young adult game night. October 2nd, uh, you can talk to me, my wife, Grady. We'll just have, I guess, I don't know, 19 to 35. If you're 36, you can come. It's, it's, it's not like a hard cutoff. But just kind of just establish that range where, like, we get lost in community. And some, I believe this is going to be a, 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 a once-a-month thing. That decision was made while I was wasting away in another room. But we're going to have this once-a-month get-together for people um, in this age group to just be able to have some real natural community, just food and games, nothing more. And also, uh, we're going to have a Madden tournament. Grady's working on the date for that, but you can ask me or him as you figure that out, just something. We'll be here. We'll get four TVs, a bunch of PlayStations and Xbox. Just come, just play, catch work. Just, just nothing crazy. Just have some natural community, all right? So, again, when you, when you look at, I'm done now, when you look at the Christian life, it's not about being perfect. It's not about sitting in this chair, doing all these churchy Christian activities. God wants us to be in community with him, with other believers. Even look at what we do as a fourth Sunday, we take communion Right, just that, that symbolic example that we are together, uh, living this life together. And I strongly believe that's what um, God wants us to focus on as a body. A lot of our other problems will go away, I believe, when we really focus on that and on loving each other. Um, so that's all I got. I don't know who I'm turning my turn over to you. Okay. I love the way my brother always ends it. I don't know that he realizes that each time he speaks, when he's done, he says, that's all I got. <laughs> and brother, that was good. Thank you. Praise God for both the transparency and the reality um, and the upfrontness of this brother. Thank God that um, he's able to think it and say it. We have conversation throughout the week and sometimes very good and lively ones. 
um, where we can talk about real issues that are happening around. And it's great to be able to talk with him through some issues. And I know in a sermon, he doesn't have the time to go into it as deeply as we do. But I know that he cares deeply, um, one, about honoring God with his life, um, staying in the word and helping people to have real community. I thank God for that message. I thank God for pointing us to what God desires of us. And what is that? That we are a true community of believers, centered and focused on the word, serious about prayer, and love and fellowship. That was the Acts 2, 42 scripture it gave is, is, is that they stayed in the word, the apostles' doctrine. Prayer, visiting one another in their homes. And that's how they grew. And so I praise God for that this morning. Remember to hear, hear that well. Look at the opportunities to get together. There are other ones, too, that are coming up. And as we get back into our community groups, and we will, um, you'll begin to have other times in which we can do life together. That's the big deal, where we can do life together. Sending on the word, serious about prayer, loving fellowship. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have wired us, built us, created us to be people in community. First, Lord, we were to be in fellowship with you. And then that fellowship with you will affect our fellowship with one another. We realize with Adam and Eve that when sin entered, not only did it separate us from you, it separated us from one another. And I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to be reconciled, brought back to you, Lord, so that we can be brought back to one another. And pray that we would be people of true community. Father, the way you've intended, as imperfect as we are, standing on the truth, and yet living fully by grace. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. While your eyes are still closed, you may be here this morning. I don't want to assume that, that you've heard this message and you realize you are not in the family. You are not a part of the community because you've never seen Christ as God. First of all, you've never seen yourself as sinful as being born in sin. Oh, you might say, yeah, I do some bad things, but you would not classify yourself as a sinner, but, or maybe you do. But you've not embraced the fact that God sent Christ as the only provision for that sin for humanity. And then you've not entrusted that his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave was enough for your sin to be forgiven. If you've not done that, you can. You can have a relationship with Christ starting today. It doesn't have to be with fanfare. We're not asking you to join any groups. We're not asking you to do anything but to realize what is 
we are in sin and that also what is God has provided a way to change that and to be in relationship with him. Bible tells us as followers of Christ, as believers, that we have a ministry of reconciliation, that we are imploring, we are begging people to be reconciled, to be reconnected, to come back, to be connected to Christ, be reconciled to God. How? Fancy word. Be brought back. How? Through Christ. And embracing and receiving what he has done for us. And so today, if you've not done that and you want to have a life in Christ, can you see me? You can see Cletus afterwards. You can see any of our leaders, our elders that are here. Talk to maybe to someone who brought you. But see someone that can help you begin a relationship with God through Christ. Father, you have given us all we need that we can live a life for you, starting with the sacrifice and the provision of Christ. Then through the power of your Holy Spirit, enabling us to live for you and giving us a community to live that out in, may we do that thoroughly and tremendously. In Christ's name, amen. Um, this morning, if you are visiting us for the first time, we thank you. Can we just see your hand? I'm not going to ask you to say or do anything. If you are just here for the first time visiting us, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. We are grateful that you decided to join us this morning. We love having you. You are welcome back at any time. Um, grateful that um, we could fellowship with you. Folks, just make sure that we say hello and greet um, in whatever way folk are comfortable, whether it's fist bump or hug, it doesn't matter. You notice some people with masks and some without. And so uh, once again, in whatever way you are comfortable, um, that we get to greet one another and to say hello. Um, just remember the announcements that we had up there. I think I mentioned for the bustles that it was a breakfast. Unless you eat breakfast at 1 o'clock, it's not. <laughs> Some of us do. We call it brunch. Uh, but it's in the afternoon, 1 to 3. Um, as you saw, just wanted to make that correction. And just have a good week. Say hello to someone on the way out. Uh, make sure you show some love. To my brother, thank you. Um, if you need a offering envelope, giving envelope, um, raise your hand. Uh, we have receptacles in the back. We're not having ushers that come around. Um, we have receptacles in the back. There's a box in the wall that you can drop it off. You can also give online um, if you'd like. Uh, but surely, if you need an envelope, raise your hand, and one will be brought over to you. This one over here has this one has a hand up over there. All in the back. You got to come around. There you go. Um, anything else I'm forgetting, that's okay. I'm usually not the one hosting the service, but uh, this is a good break in difference. All right, with that, have a great week. Um, talk someone, share with someone, show your love to someone, and we will look forward to seeing you in the future as the Lord allows. God bless you.
People's Church Anthem. You can join in with us all over the world. We're going to cry out together the name that's above every name. Jesus, you are Savior, you are matchless, you are King, and we worship you. Jesus, you are Savior, you are matchless, you are 